Sarashiva Samarambam Shankaracharya Madhyamam Asmadacharya Paryantam Vande Guru Param Param Ishvaro Guratmeti Murti Beda Vibhagine Vyomabad Vyapta Dehaya Dakshinamurtaye Namaha Sarva Vedanta Siddhanta Gocharam Tamagocharam Govindam Paramanandam Sadgurum Pranatosmyam Om Sri Krishna Govinda Narayana Om So, uh, just to recap, uh, we've pretty much covered uh, all the topics on the first uh, two pages. Uh, what is love? Uh, it is existence. It is consciousness. It is bliss. Love is Satchitananda Atman. The Atman is love. It's consciousness, existence, it's love. All three are synonyms. And how does that manifest in the world? As reflected awareness. What is a reflected awareness? It's a willing attention. It's taking your the reflection of awareness as it strikes on your mind and directing it to what? An object. If you direct it to a material object, you're a material love materialist. If you direct your attention to what? A personal God, huh? then you have informal bhakti. It's dvaita or dualistic informal bhakti. When you when you get to the karma yoga phase, that's over on the next page. I'll, I'll, I'll hop around here. Uh, if you want to, if you want to make, if you want to gain moksha from your love, okay. If you, if you love freedom, in other words, if your primary desire is to be free, that, that's your primary desire. Everybody wants to be free, but very often, every, most people, freedom is just one of several priorities. First, they want to be secure in this world, and then often they want to seek pleasure once they've you know, because they're so frustrated, uh -huh. they spend so much time trying to get secure that they've got a pleasure deficit. So then they become pleasure seekers. And always they think, oh, well, I, I really do want moksha, but, but you know, that comes later in life. They think like that. Uh, so it's not an exclusive desire for, for most people. You're going to see now in the verse here... <coughs> Uh, we're just about to read the start into the text itself. That uh, bhakti, non-dual bhakti, is called exclusive love of the self. In other words, that's the only thing you love. Now, when you but to get there, what do you have to do? You have to commit yourself to the Vedic tradition. If you commit yourself to Vedanta, to the Vedic tradition, huh, then you what do you have to do? you have to follow, you have to go through these five stages. That means you have to know what the five stages are. 
That doesn't mean you have to do one, two, three, four, five in order. Because <laughs> you can practice jnana yoga and karma yoga at the same time. But if you practice jnana yoga without practicing karma yoga, huh, then the jnana yoga is not going to work for you. You're going to have emotional issues and you're not going to be satisfied with the knowledge. And then you'll say, oh, Vedanta is all knowledge and you'll throw it away and you'll go to some other path. That's not because Vedanta is all knowledge. It's not because you can't get free from Vedanta. It's because what? Because you did, you skipped the uh, the purification stage. You skipped the karma yoga phase because it was too much work. <laughs> it was too hard. Didn't want, huh? You wanted the easy path. Just you want a quick enlightenment, a fast enlightenment. And you got it for a little while, and it was fast, it tasted good, huh? It was pretty lovely, until what? Until those old samskaras, those old emotional habit patterns that you picked up when you were young, in childhood, most of them, and they were usually just issues around love. It's amazing how many people go into monastic tradition and stick for 5, 10, 15, even 20 years, and then, and then, and then, then you find out after they've been in for a long time, they, they quit being a Buddhist meditator and they go and they fall in love and they start a family when they're 40. <laughs> yeah. Huh? True. Is that just how oh, it happens all the time? This, it, uh, so you need to understand the progression. That's the point. You've got to take care of all parts of yourself, from your physical self to your emotional self to your intellectual self, to your unconscious mind, huh? and then you get to the top of the heap. Everybody wants to jump to the top and skip all the hard work. And, and so the modern spiritual teachers, they pander to that need, and they tell you, skip to the top. You're the self. Your awareness, there's no world, there's no ego, there's no dharma, there's no karma, there's no teacher, there's no teaching. There's no, 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 no. They give you the opportunity to deny everything, and so you deny and you say, oh, there's no world, there's no teacher, there's no ego, there's no blah, 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 but it's like that. And then you say, I'm awareness, I'm awareness, I'm awareness, like a parrot says, I'm a, oh, I want to have awareness, I want a cracker, I'm awareness, I want a cracker. <laughs> and as soon as something happens, you start whining and complaining. Because you, because you haven't, huh? And you say, what happened? Well, I'm awareness doesn't work. I'm still acting like an idiot. <laughs> I'm still acting like a fool. Huh? And then you don't know where to go because you believe this teacher. So we say, look, understand the whole big picture, understand, you know, and once you get once you understand the big picture, then you can identify what your problem is. And at every stage there's a solution. We have a sadhana for you at every stage. This is what you do at this stage, this is what you do at that stage, and this is what you do at this stage, huh? And then you can get to work. And to qualify, because all these stages are qualification stages. Dwaita Bhakti, dualistic love, huh, is for qualifying for moksha, for non-dual love. You can't get just get a non-dual relationship <laughs> with yourself, with God, or with the world, which is the same thing. You can't get that just, just because you want it. Everybody, we, we've written a book called The Yoga of Relationships, my wife and I. Her book, but I helped her with it. 
and and people write now and they say well and they start to talking about it and then they say uh but i want a non-dual relationship where can you get it well you'll get it when you're qualified for it but you've got to qualify and then you, then if if you are qualified then it, you will get a non-dual relationship if if it's if it's Ishwara's will, but non-dual relationships are all up to Ishwara. They're not up to you. Understand? And Ishwara is not going to give you a non-dual relationship with someone unless both people are qualified, and neither one of them wants a non-dual relationship. <laughs> Understand? That's the result. That's what comes when you go through the stages. Maybe, and if it doesn't, it's fine because you're free. And if you're free, you're free of the need for a non-dual relationship. You're just as free in a in a relationship with yourself as you are with somebody else, because you discover in a non-dual relationship that you're actually in a relationship with yourself. When there is a relationship with somebody else, so is it really a relationship? I call it a relationless relationship. And try to t sell a relationship, a relationless relationship, to somebody who uh, who just wants a relationship. <laughs> they're not go they're not going to be interested in that. Understand? Because you don't go into relation love relationships for freedom. You don't do it. Don't don't. Oh yes, but you see, I, it's a spiritual path. I can get, yes, you know, we're going to go together hand in hand to the cell. <laughs> I, had a, I had a friend once, and she, she and her boyfriend used to meditate holding hands. <laughs> yeah, they sit next to each other, and they hold hands, and then they meditate. Huh? What's wrong with this picture? So... So I, so I need to know. I need to know the progression. Understand? So uh, we discussed informal devotion. We said that's good because it it helps you to cathart. It helps you to get things out. It removes repressions, and at least it it, it gets you feeling better about yourself that you have a, pers a personal relationship with God. That's fine. It's really good. On the other hand. Uh, you're still going to suffer. You're still going to have agitations in the world. Right? And so once you understand that, that your basic relationship with samsara, not with God, that your basic relationship with samsara, with the world, is a problem. It's hard for to admit that I have a problem with the world. Because you don't set out to have a problem with the world. You, you set out to ha have a good relationship with the world, but you very often end up without having a good relationship with the world. Huh? When you realize that you do have a problem with the world, then then you're qual you're qualified for karma yoga. In other words, if you have a bad relationship with the world, you haven't figured out that the world is a zero-sum game, that it's zero-sum here in this world that the world of action and desire is a zero-sum reality. <coughs> zero-sum means what? 
you can't win and you can't lose. For every gain, there's a loss, and for every loss, there's a gain. So when you try to tally it up, you never come out ahead, nor do you ever come out behind. You always come out in exactly the same spot. <coughs> so living like a samsari is like treading water. You know what treading water is? <coughs> That's when you're going to, in the ocean or in a body of water, and just to stay afloat, you keep moving. But you don't go forward and you don't go backward. You just have to keep moving to stay afloat or you'll sink. So all your efforts are basically wasted. And when you realize you're pissing away some all your energy just to stay the same in the in in the in the world, then you're then you're then you're perhaps you're ready for karma yoga. Because karma yoga tells you how to relate to the world in such a way that you can get out of this world. Because if you follow the ultimate logic of karma yoga, it will get you out of this world. Because it will lead to jnana yoga, and jnana yoga will lead to knowledge, and knowledge will set you free of the notion that the world is real and that you're a doer. And then what? And then you'll see that uh, the love you have is what? Non-dual. That yourself is non-dual, and that I so forth. There's, in other words, there's no conflict or no separation within me, between me and myself, and there's no conflict or separation between myself and the world. So it's all a logical sequence. And so and Vedanta is, is the best, best teaching because it explains this carefully, and, and it gives you clarity at every stage of how to work your way out of that stage, what, what the next stage is where you're going and to really to really feel good about life you need to have a plan and be be executing that plan otherwise your mind huh the mind doesn't work without a noble ideal a noble noble pursuit it, it needs it needs a noble idea it needs something valuable and important something spiritually useful to inspire it just just wanting, wanting to fulfill a desire is not a noble idea. <laughs> uh, it doesn't lead you anywhere. It just uh, it leads you to what? You get a certain amount of satisfaction, and then you get some dissatisfaction right along with it. So, so um, let's see what else. Oh, yeah. So... I've done my karma yoga. I had one more thought about that. I forgot that I, did, I didn't tell you, and now it's slipped from my mind. I usually make a, a note of it. What, what was it? The dharma. dharma yoga. Dharma yoga, that's right, dharma. Thank you, thank you. Because, because action is done in a field of laws by a, a human being that is, what? A bunch of rules. Did you know that human being is just a bunch of rules? Human being is a program. Can you understand that uh, a tree is a program? Huh? Can you understand that? There's a tree concept in in God's mind, and 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 huh? and trees. There are all the all the all the individuals in that category called trees 
they all follow the tree program. What do they do? What, what do trees do? Well, they, they do tree dharma. They follow the dharma that they've been given. That is, they follow their nature. If the na they have tree nature or mosquitoes. Mosquito has mosquito nature. What does a mosquito do? Huh? All mosquitoes do the same thing. Why? Because they belong to the mosquito uh, category, which is determined by God, by Ishwara, the creator. The creator creates that program called the mosquito program, the tree program, the water program. Water is a program. It's a, huh? It behaves, it has a certain nature, and it behaves a certain way. And it always, it always follows its nature, and it always behaves the same way. It's, uh, and human beings are a program. They're just knowledge cobbled together in the form of a series of instructions. You can think of it like a computer program. As a series of uh, instructions uh, to consciousness to behave in a particular way. Ishwara tells consciousness, you behave like this, and then you're a human. You behave like that, and then you're a tree. You behave like this, and then you're a stone. You behave like this, and then you're light. Light is a program. Heat is a program. All of these are knowledge huh, huh, that manifest consciousness in various ways. <clears throat> so what is the, the, what is the human program? That's called your swa dharma or your swa bhava. From your swa bhava, your nature comes your swa dharma, your duty. So, what is the duty of a human being? What is, in other words, what is my purpose here? Yeah, we covered that. We by analyzing the behavior of human beings, we discover that all human activity is an attempt to remove a sense of subjective limitation, which means what? Basically, humans want to be free. And therefore, Ishwar has given them free will, whereas the other programs in the creation, they don't have free will, do they? They don't learn anything, huh? because they don't have free will, and they're not self-reflective. They're completely extroverted. Their consciousness is completely involved in what? In the material world. So my program is freedom as a human being. If I don't know that, I seek, if I don't know that I am free, then I seek freedom through actions, through activities, through obtaining objects and getting rid of objects. I get rid of objects that seem to limit me. I try to gain objects that seem to free me. That's... That's my program. See, there's nothing actually complicated about us. At, at, at our core, we're extremely simple. I know, you know, the, the, the last hundred years, they, they, they turned psychology into, into this kind of romantic notion that we're totally so complex and so deep and so sophisticated, you know, and so special. And it's only because of our technology that we think that. But our basic program is very simple. I want what I want, and I don't want what I don't want. 
and that's it. <laughs> right? <laughs> isn't that, I mean, when you uh, be honest with yourself, isn't that basically what you're, huh? You, you, you've been thinking all your life? I need to have this, and I need to not have that, whatever it is. So you're always getting rid of stuff that makes you unhappy, and you're always trying to get stuff that makes you happy. Now, huh? Whereas, you know, I'd rather be like a duck or something <laughs> than to worry about it. You know, a duck just, Ishwar just makes it fly to, to water, and they dive in the water and catch a fish or whatever it is, and then they... You know, they drink the water and they make their babies and they don't think, oh, should I get married? <laughs> and and do, is, is the Mr. Duck really an honest, straight guy? And does he a good provider? And, and, and how will it work out? No, Mr. Duck just jumps on her back and then little babies come out a little bit later and, and then they just go up and down the river together and that's it, you know? And they don't think about it at all. They're all very happy, you know, uh, being ducks. <laughs> It is so cute. I we lived on a river recently, and and we used to see this these ducks. You know, the, the mother and the father. The mother'd be on the front. She'd be going down the river, and then a line of babies, like maybe you know eight or ten little ones, tiny little ones. And then behind would be the daddy. He'd be behind, and he'd be watching all the little ones. And if one of the little ones got out of line, what would he do? He'd go around and menace the little kid, scare him, and push him back into line. Huh? And after a while, the little ones, they didn't go out of line at all. Their daddy, because daddy was behind watching them. <laughs> and they, they, didn't, they weren't, didn't hate their daddy. Huh? They didn't hate to have get issues with their, with their daddy duck. Huh? Because he, he, he made them get in line. That humans would do that. Oh, my father, he used to make me do all these things I didn't want to do, and that's created such a tremendous <laughs> psychological complex. I just can't love my, my husband because he reminds me of my father. <laughs> so, 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 when I take up, when I become a, when I become a karma yogi, right? You have to follow karma yoga dharma. So, uh, there's a very important verse in in Bhagavad Gita, verse a point in the Bhagavad Gita. It's ca encapsulated in a verse where Arjuna, where Arjuna has tried. I mentioned this yesterday, I think, or the day before, whatever it was. Seems like we've been here forever, doesn't it? <laughs> and uh, where, uh, our, where Krishna tells Arjuna he's the self and Arjuna doesn't get it. And then Krishna explains karma yoga to Arjuna, explains it in detail, as, as I've tried to explain to you, karma yoga in detail. And then after he's explained karma yoga, then he makes another statement in a verse. He says, he gives Arjuna a provisional identity. He, he gives him a new swadharma. Previously, he's just been a samsari. He's been thinking of himself as a worldly person. And he's got all these issues. He's particularly angry. He, he's a, he's a, a dharmi. That is, he's a guy that's, that's, that's vowed to uphold dharma. That's his nature. He's a third category of human beings. He's a, a dharmi. 
He's a cop, or he's a he's a general, and he's a warrior. Warriors are meant to what enforce dharma. Brahmins are supposed to teach dharma, and the police and the administrative class and the and the military class is meant to what enforce dharma. So he's an enforcer, and uh, he he's but he's not thinking of his job as karma yoga. He's just a person who's really angry because he and his family have been cheated by Duryodhana, by one of his relatives, been cheated out of his land and his property and, and been humiliated by a relative. And so he's got personal grievance. So for him, the war is very personal. And, and when Krishna tells him the self, don't worry about it, go ahead and do your duty and kill those guys because they're actually the self. He can't understand that. He, Krishna explains the whole thing. And then, then says, so he realizes that that didn't work. So then he explains to, Krishna, to Arjuna Karma Yoga. And then he says, and therefore, Arjuna, be a Karma Yogi. Now, huh? Now, when you when you become a Karma Yogi, huh? Then you then you you have for Karma Yoga to work, you have to follow, huh? Karma Yoga Dharma. In other words, the rules of Karma Yoga. And I've explained to you what, what those rules are. What, what Karma Yoga is. You have to think that way. You, have, can't no, you can no longer think I'm Sally or Pete or Sam or whatever your name is. You, can, you don't think they're like that. You think I'm a Karma Yogi and what is my duty to do at what is my duty as a karma yogi? Right? So you, that's a provisional identity. He tried the self identity, that didn't work. The modern teachers don't teach karma yoga. That's why modern teachings fail, because they don't teach karma yoga. And when they do teach it, they don't teach it properly. They teach a little bit of it, but they don't teach what it actually is. So, so <clears throat> the dharma of a karma yogi is what? To what? Take, to act, huh? to offer all my actions in the spirit of worship to Ishwara, to God, God being the, the field of, of dharma, being a conscious field, God being a conscious field, God being... The rules, in fact, in the field, and to take whatever results come as prasad, in other words, in, in glad acceptance, and to live a sattvic life, to discipline myself by what? Pursuing the, very, the, the rituals that are incumbent upon karma yogis. Loving the environment, loving the teaching, loving the teacher, uh, <clears throat> loving your deity, your personal deity, uh, serving other people, etc., etc., etc. You loving your parents, your ancestors, people, and so forth and so on. Basically, serving and loving all the objects that you, in your mind, in, in the world. Those are those are that's a daily practice. If you just 
go about your worldly life and you think, oh, I'll do my karma yoga. I have to go do karma yoga now. You haven't understood karma. You have to go to the ashram and do karma yoga now or seva now. That's not karma yoga. That's one ritual, one karma yoga ritual, but one karma yoga ritual is not good enough. You, all, all of your activities need to be done in the karma yoga spirit. In all aspects of your life, you need to handle money like a karma yogi, which means you don't go into debt, for instance, and so forth and so on. Find yourself always in debt. How's your mind feel? Agitated. And so forth and so on. So, and, and, and how you do your karma yoga depends upon what? Your swadharma, in other words, what your nature is. But in, irrespective of that, what? You still have to practice all those rituals. Now, you're doing actions in a field, what? Of values, universal values. That's called samanya dharma. So samanya dharma means what? The dharma of universal values. You have to honor universal values. Not only do you have to honor your own values, your own nature, how, how well you have assimilated uh, the universal values is, is your own swa dharma, your swa nature. Because some values are very well assimilated. Other values are not really well, well assimilated or well understood. You, 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 uh, so you need to, like, and, and swa, how you relate to, uh, how you as a person relates to the universal values is called vishesha dharma. In other words, situational ethics. And the way you behave in a, in, in a situation huh, is, 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 you can't have a formula for it. Why not? See, most people, they, they, they're, they're, they're moral people, but they just have one simple moral code, and they always uh, behave according to that moral code in every situation. But that doesn't always produce a, a, a peaceful or happy mind, does it? Why? Because every situation requires you to tailor, huh, to adjust your actions, not to do the same action. If you do the same action in every situation, you're not going to succeed. Why not? Because no situation is the same as the last situation. Every new situations are constantly alt-changing, and I need to adjust huh, my values and the universal values to what? To <coughs> act in a moral way in every situation. That's called vishesha dharma. So I need to follow my nature, I need to, to consider universal values, and I need to see whether, uh, whether the situation, in other words, I have to tailor my reaction based upon the situation, the universal values, and my own personal situation, my own personal nature. In other words, I consider the needs of everybody, I consider my own personal needs, and then I see what the situation requires. So. Dharma is very a difficult concept, and if 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 I do those, if I do consider all those things, then what? Then I'm said to be a dharmi, and my actions are said to be appropriate responses. 
I want to respond appropriately in every situation, because if I don't, I get agitation. I get bad karma. That's called punya karma. Bad karma is karma that what? Disturbs my mind. So if you have a disturbed mind, if you're angry, depressed, or worried, or something like that, it's because you violated your dharma, a universal dharma, or you've been ineffective in what translating uh, your actions into a into uh, a, a, a beneficial. You've been ineffective in producing a beneficial action to resolve a particular situation. Now we don't like to think that you know we don't you know so. And the problem with this, with, with Dharma yoga, is it's a big problem. This, and so Krishna makes a point to, to talk about this in, in the Gita. He says, I, meaning the perfect karma yoga, meaning the self, am the desire that is not opposed to Dharma. Now that's a very interesting statement. Because, you know, like you get into Buddhism and these things, they tell you all desires are bad. You want to get rid of your desires. Desire is the cause of suffering. And so you want to get rid of your desires so you won't suffer anymore. That's, that's the notion. So, but Krishna says, I, Krishna meaning the self, operating in the world, Atna, he says, I'm the desire. What? You mean the self is the desire? Yeah, the self is the desire, what? That is not opposed to dharma. But what does that mean? That means a person who, what, who knows who they are huh, considers huh, whether or not his desire will, what, disturb the creation or not. And only does those actions that are in harmony with the uh, the will of the total. Because how are you going? You're enjoying the benefits of an amazing civilization. We live better than the kings and noblemen of old. We can fly at thirty thousand feet, watch a movie on TV, drink champagne, and enjoy ourselves, and go to another country in in eight or ten hours around the other side of the world. Why? Is that bad karma? No, that's good karma. Huh? That, that, that's amazing karma. And we're the beneficiaries of that. Why is that? Because people, what? Because what? The, I mean, was that created by what? Desire? Yes. It was created by desire. We desired to do that, and we created this medicine. <coughs> penicillin all these things were created what not for per personal gain they were what they they served the whole world now obviously people did gain personally from it but the world itself benefited from it so any desire that satisfies the needs of the total is what a beneficial desire because we're here to serve the total total being Ishwar so Ishwar says when you want something so bad that it causes you to break the rules, in other words, to go against your nature or to go against universal values, uh, then that is adharma. That adharma causes what? Papa karma. Papa karma means a mental and emotional agitation. Why? 
because Dharma is built into everybody. Just like your karma is built in, right along with your karma, Dharma is built into everybody. Ishwara, that's part of the human program. So you need to be very careful when you're afraid of something or when you're, you want something very badly that you consider all the situations and you don't do actions that break the rules, the Dharma. You, you can see all, all of the tremendous amount of fear and <clears throat> desire in the world right now is causing all this conflict. This is why everybody's insecure now. And the, and the more insecure they get, the more negative or bad karma they create and the more insecurity they get people get now you know just the, the best one of the best examples is it, it applies in all fields is what is the environment no no species except human beings shits in their own nest and lives in it sleeps and eats in their shit. Well, I saw a hedgehog once in Germany. Found a little hedgehog in a nest. And he, he, he was shitting in his nest and sleeping there. But we're no better than hedgehogs. Understand? Why, why would we do this? Why would, why would you do this? Why would you live in such a way that you pollute the environment and that, and you live in your own pollution, your own shit. It's 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 astounding, it's amazing that that I have to have these luxuries and these conveniences. That my need to just pamper myself uh, is so great. I can't wash my hair with soap. I, I can't even wash my hair with shampoo. Well, I can, but there's eighty different kinds of shampoo I need. Their skin skin care, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. I, I looked in under my I, I did there was my wife's a little vanity, you know, <laughs> had, a, had a sink in it, and I and then and it started to leak, so I had to go and fix the leak. And I opened the door, and I couldn't believe <laughs> what was there. I thought, Jesus, it took me half an hour to get all that stuff out of there so I could get in <laughs> and fix the pipe. Well, there were bottles and lotions and potions, and I started thinking how much they cost, and then I started really getting agitated. <laughs> I got the guy that has to worry about the money, you know. And, and her skin, I didn't notice her skin was anything... Particulars, but you know, nice skin, but so what? It's just skin. I mean, actually, I carry a body of hairspray, you know, because I got to look good on the camera. I, I could get it one bottle to last for a whole year because I only spray it when I get in front of the camera. So, because people. People say, you know, said, why does he look like such a slob? <laughs> so I've taken to trying to, like, you know, wear a nice clean shirt. I went and bought a new shirt, you know, that didn't have rips and tears. Somebody found some 
dirt on the back of my pants the other day, but I said, oh, it's all right, it's on the back of the pants, it won't show up on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've got a question about this down. <coughs> For me, it's like a trial and error. Is it like that? No, well, that you can learn that way, but... But why not, you know, you should have been taught, you know, if you come from a good family, you've been taught Dharma, you've been taught how to behave properly, if you have good manners and common sense, then it's just common sense. But nowadays, the family structure's broken down, and, and the young people don't know how to, how to you know, they don't have, they're not polite and friendly. We've got trolls and people attacking each other and dying and all this stuff, the whole society's is falling apart, and, and, and very few people actually know what, how to <coughs> behave properly, you know, in society. Look at society. Now, in America, it's really fun. America's still making money, but you know why America's making money? It's because the, the, the conservative people and the liberal people don't talk politics or religion when they're doing business. Uh, that's the only reason. Otherwise, the whole society collapsed. They couldn't communicate because because uh, their political ideas would get in the way, and they'd insult each other and anger each other. They'd, they'd, then the whole thing would get even incredibly contentious. So when you go to the bank or you go to buy a loan or something like that, nobody asks you what your political views are or your religious views are. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> huh? Because when when it gets when it gets that bad, when they only loan you money if you belong to you know if you're a liberal or you're a conservative, then then the whole society is going to split up. There's going to be civil war, basically. You you can see it because people don't know how to communicate with people who think differently and act differently from them. They don't know uh, manners and dharma is for resolving conflicts, for harmonizing conflicts in the society. But when, when you're so spoiled and so stupid, huh, you don't care. You just All you care about <coughs> is getting what you want. That's all you care about. And then, then, then you, you injure other people, and in, in doing so, you injure yourself. You know, one of the, big the biggest one of the big problems is a swadharma, and I get this all the time. People say, well, I'm not clear what my swadharma is. Well, if you're committed to, to self, if you're committed to Vedanta, then you don't have to worry about it. You just have to do karma yoga because then you're a karma yogi and then, then we supply the swadharma for you and we tell you what you're supposed to do. And very, yeah, you know, only a few people will do it because, huh? Because uh, they don't want to subject themselves to any discipline. That's why we call this formal devotion. It's formal because uh, these are requirements. If you don't follow the requirements, you don't fit into the program. That's all. And you're not going to get the result. If you follow the rules, then you get the result. If you don't follow the rules, you don't get the result. See? But in our if, if you go to India, people, you don't even have to teach them karma yoga. Huh? You really don't have to teach karma yoga in India. You do, but you don't really have to. Why not? Because they're taught they're taught karma yoga from the beginning. 
It's built into the society. And there, people, uh, there's a young man I met on the street. He was six years old when I met him. Now he's 24. Now he's a tech guy, and he's doing very well. And I put him through school. I bought him his first tricycle, and I bought him his bicycle, and I got him his school fees, and then I got him into the you know, tech school and then the university. And I, you know, I went, went through the thing like that. And and he it was just a, it was just such a beautiful person because he just did what he was supposed to do. <laughs> he was happy for the opportunity to do his duty. Yes, he had some desires, but those desires were always secondary to doing his duty. Because he knows that in, his, in that society, if you do your duty, you're protected. Whereas if you don't do your duty and you just follow your desires, that you'll get crushed in India. Because it's a dharmic-oriented society. Now they're, they're getting gradually more and more and more like us, unfortunately. Their materialist values cause them to what? To go against their spiritual values. So you're seeing the breakdown of the society also in India, not nearly <coughs> as rapidly as it is over here because Dharma is still there. But our societies are not organized around Dharma. What's the principle our society is, is, is organized around? Desire. So Krishna says, I'm the desire that's not opposed to Dharma. That means there's nothing wrong with, you know, pursuing your desires. It means you, you better realize the context in which you're doing your desires and consider the context because if you, if you want trouble, then just break the rules. And, and there is a big enforcer of the rules that's on duty 24-7 and that doesn't let anything slide. And who would that be? Ishwara. There's an invisible cop watching you every second. Hmm? It's called Chitragupta. Chitragupta means a scribe. It's a very cool idea. So there's a little guy that you don't see sitting right back here, just maybe a couple inches above your head, and he's got a little, he's got a little pen, a piece of paper, and he's writing it all down. That's why they have songs like God is Watching You. You know that song? You heard that song? God is watching you. It's a conscious universe. God is the consciousness of everything. And it knows exactly what you're thinking and exactly what you're feeling and exactly why you're thinking it and why you're feeling it. And it's keeping tabs of your actions and it's uh, seeing whether or not those actions are what? Are lining up with uh, the Dharma, the Lord's will. And when there's a violation, bing, some pain comes. Huh? Just, it's just totally logical. There's nothing mystical or magical <laughs> or, or huh, spiritual about it. It's just purely... Huh, practical so whenever I act I've got to consider the moral implications huh? and the subjective or psychological implications like say I'm an artist 
let's just say for instance, I have a, I have an artistic temperament. Now I didn't I didn't invent that temperament. That I just feel like an artist. So whenever I'm around, I get out my pencil and I start drawing pictures and stuff like that. When you're a kid, you know how it is. You just love art. You just do it. It's just natural to you. And then, then your mom and your dad say, well, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? And you say, an artist. And they say, no, you're not. <laughs> huh? You don't want to so what do, what do they want you to do? <laughs> get an education and get a job and get a good job and work in a factory or work in a corporation or whatever it is, according to your class. They want you, they want you, of course, they'd love to see you move up and make better money and have a better job. And so, so to please your parents, what do you do? You go and get the education. And you always feel like an artist. You always feel like what? Inside yourself, you'd really rather be doing something else. But you go right ahead and you can, or you get a job in the meatpacking plant. <coughs> they can only get immigrants to work in meatpacking plants in America anymore. Local Americans won't do it because they're too proud. Uh, because they've all got different ideas about who they are. Whereas the only foreigners who want the money will do that job. <coughs> but if I'm a sensitive, artistic person, and I'm there like cutting up dead animals and washing the blood of animals and scraping up the fat from animals on the floor and that stink and the filthy environment and all that fear that's there, huh? Am I going to be a happy person? Just to pay the rent? I got two or three friends who are real, true artists, and they'll suffer anything for their art. They will not do anything other than art. I've had to loan the money. No, they said it's a loan. I knew it wasn't a loan because I never expected it to come back. <laughs> but they were not ready to like compromise their integrity, in other words, their program, uh, just to pay the rent. They would, just wouldn't do it. Because they knew that was their dharma, and it would be more painful to do something that wasn't in their nature than to do something that just took care of some incidental thing. Understand? So this is always a real issue with people in these societies. A hundred years ago or two hundred years ago, nobody had these these questions. You just did what you had to do. Usually, what your parents did. You know, I, I think Germany, say, in the Middle Ages, what did you do? If your dad baked bread, you baked bread. If your mom was a housewife, you were a housewife. That's it. <laughs> you didn't have all these fancy ideas. I was this and that and the other thing because there, there weren't that many opportunities in the society. The society wasn't that complex. And you just, you know, you just followed tradition and did not. Uh, so the, the whole subjective thing, who am I and what am I doing here, it wasn't there. But now we've got it in spades. And there's all these opportunities and so forth. So, so that's dharma. So, so don't, think, don't think of karma uh, apart from dharma. What are the moral and psychological implications of my actions? And, and, and it's a very simple, very simple sadhana, which is, when pain is coming, when there's pain coming, that's Ishwara. What? And you should be grateful for the pain. <coughs> Say, Ishwara, thank you. I, I need to correct. 
I need a correction here. You're pointing out something about me that I need to keep, uh, that I need to consider very carefully, and, and, and I must be breaking some rule here. How, why am I getting this karma, this bad karma? Why am I getting this pain? And it will always be because you broke usually your, your swadharma or you, uh, you broke some rule in the society, some, either one of man's rules or one of God's rules. Generally, you should follow human rules too because you're in a human environment. And since you think of yourself as a human being, you should more or less follow what? Follow the, the rules of the, of the, of the society, the, the governments, and the social <coughs> institutions in the society. Not, not always. You, like at one time in Germany, particularly, had this problem, you know, where, where the society was totally a dharmic, and there were dharmic people living there, and to actually survive in the society, you had to do some terribly adharmic things. And so there was a huge conflict in, in, in people at that time. Do I do what the society's doing, or I do what I know is right by God? So, so this whole question of dharma and action and karma, it's very, very difficult. It's very complex. And as I mentioned yesterday, Krishna makes sense. It says about this topic, even wise people are perplexed. So before you even think about moksha, you got to sort out karma and dharma. Understand? <clears throat> now, once once you've become, once you've seen that what, once you've seen that acting in the karma yoga spirit produces uh, a, a happy integrated mind. Once you see that, because you get benefits from karma yoga very quickly. You, you, huh? Then you, and you see that you get curious. The, the pressure to act starts to uh, reduce the stress. In other words, you become less stressful. The pressure is reduced, and your mind starts to relax a little bit. And then you become curious who is this Ishwara? <laughs> huh? Well, who is this big brain? in the sky, wherever it is, uh, this all-pervasive intelligence that, uh, that's uh, operating this field. Who is that? <clears throat> and then you become interested in who am I or what am I. It actually should be what am I, not who am I. And then you're ready to graduate to Vedanta. If you've done your karma yoga properly, you will what? You will, start, you will hear about Vedanta, and you'll hear about moksha, and you'll actually meet a Vedanta teacher. And that, then uh, that means you have an opportunity now to what? Enter into the fourth stage. And the fourth stage is what? Upasana yoga. And what is that? We already discussed it. I've already told you. It's learning how to listen. It's a discipline of listening. It's... Reasoning, reasoning means reflecting, looking at what you believe and think and feel in light of what you've heard and what. And the difficult part, we said, the even more discipline and more integrity is required at that stage. What? Getting rid of beliefs and opinions that are not in harmony with the teaching. 
In other words, sacrificing cherished biases and notions and opinions and beliefs and so forth and so on. That's the next stage. It's difficult. And the final stage is actualizing. Once you're then, after you what? After you've done the manana phase or the reasoning phase or the contemplating phase, that is, then, then what do you do? You need to actualize the knowledge I'm the self because that's going to be your conclusion. The conclusion you come to is that I'm ever-present, ever unborn, <clears throat> ordinary, non-dual, huh? actionless, unconcerned awareness, existence awareness. That's the conclusion you'll come to. And your identity will no longer think you're a karma yogi. You will say, I'm the self. At this stage, you say, I'm the self. Now, the self won't be saying I'm the self, will it? Huh? Why, why won't the self say I'm the self? Because there's no other option. Plus, because <laughs> there's only the self. From the self's point of view, there's only the self. So he wouldn't claim what it was because there's no other option. It couldn't be anything other than the self. So the self never says I'm the self. I say I'm the self. I mean is a jiva. The jiva says, understands its identity as awareness. He's a self-realized person. And they don't have any doubts about, they don't think, I'm James who realized the self. That's not what that means, I'm the self. That doesn't mean James is the self. I've realized that James isn't me and that I am actually awareness consciousness, huh? realize that and I've given up the James identity that identity in my case died 50 years ago I had no concept of myself being James after you know what was it sometime in February or March in 1971 so almost 50 years that idea that I was James and the, the, the knowledge that I myself came at that time now, if at that time you're perfectly satisfied, in other words, your emotions, your vasanas, your samskaras don't disturb you, then you live in bliss as bliss. You live in bliss as bliss from that time on. But if there are residual samskaras or vasanas left over, when you gain the knowledge on the self and they produce emotions that are not blissful, then huh, moksha, freedom, is what? Freedom for James, for the jiva, means for freedom from James, however you want to look at it. And what does that involve? Getting rid of those, uh, we call them pratibandikas, those obstacles to the perfect satisfaction, two perfect satisfactions. So, uh, how? Uh, huh? How? How by continuing my sadhana, by continuing my karma yoga, my yana yoga, my bhakti yoga. Because mm -hmm. I, I need to what? Purify those. Mm -hmm. You can gain the self realization before your mind is completely purified. 
once your mind is completely purified, then what? And you gain that realization, you never go back. And the bliss current is steady. The current of bliss is steady. That is, you appreciate yourself as existence, as awareness, as bliss all the time. And it isn't a thought. It's an actual experience. You feel full. You feel complete. You feel whole. You, feel, you have total confidence. You can put it like that. It's not ha-ha bliss. <laughs> huh? It's a total sense of confidence. <clears throat> You're going to see here uh, what, what it is when we take up the verses, <coughs> which we will <coughs> begin after the break.